Okay, so what are we thinking about today? God's daily provision. Now, um, I don't know about you, but um, most of the time it feels to me like I am in a time of trial. Okay, occasionally I get to stick my head above the water and I think, oh, my life is good, my children are good, everything is good. But most of the time, it is a time of trial, okay? For me at the moment, I'm really struggling to sleep. A uh, beautiful staff team got around me on Monday, prayed, and I have been blessed with sleep. So you don't have too much of a crazy woman on the stage this morning. But we all know, I guess, what it's like to struggle. Although some of you, are there any, anyone here that doesn't know any times of trial? Oh, great. We're all in the same boat then. That's brilliant. So, and we all experience those crises in life when something goes dramatically wrong and God comes to our rescue. Um, and those are the kind of uh, testimonies we often get. You know, I, uh, I thought I was going to die, but this happened. But what I want to talk about this morning is the ongoing endurance. This is the marathon of faith. This is when things don't get sorted. Our ongoing thing that can last longer, a lot longer than we'd like it to. For some of us, it will be our entire lives. It's a life of endurance, a marathon of faith. And that could be, for example, health issues. You might be struggling with them. You've been struggling them with for a long time. Maybe they're managed in some way. Sometimes you get relief, but it's not going away. Perhaps it's um, a relationship issue, maybe within your close family. There's been an argument. There's some tension. It's an ongoing issue for you. Perhaps it's financial that you're struggling with. You seem to occasionally get your head above the water, but um, I don't know, your, your, the rest of your family seems to want to live a very... Uh, a lifestyle that maybe is beyond really your means. And so constantly you're feeling the pressure. We don't have enough money from that. Perhaps it's work pressures. You're always thinking, oh, next week work will be better because I'll just finish that project and then we'll have some family time. Ever been there? Or, I'll just finish that assignment for uni, and then I'll get a breather. But it never happens, does it? These are the ongoing struggles that we sometimes face. But I want to say a few things before we get into trials and tests that we're going to look at this morning. Firstly, we need to remember that um, trials are normal. This is our life. So if you've been sold something that says, maybe through Facebook or advertising or other sort of Instagram, if you've been sold that, that life should be easy, you will have enough money and everyone in your family will be a joy to be with always and that your work will be skipping in every morning. That is wrong. 
Trials are, as we say, normal. Jesus said, in this life, just in case his disciples didn't know, you will have many troubles. And he says that to us too. So let's step up to the plate because that is what we're served. Secondly, though, as Christians, we need to understand that our God, Jesus, understands what that's like. In Hebrews, it tells us that we don't have a God who is unable to empathize with us. Why? Because he became a human being. He knows what it's like to be a family event when so-and-so is not talking to so-and-so. He knows what it's like, perhaps in his carpentry shop, to feel the pressure of deadlines, to feel the pressure of financial burdens on his family. He knows what it's like to have a breakdown of relationships where your best friend betrays you, and he knows what it's like to suffer. So we have a high priest, we have a God, Jesus who understands what it's like to walk the life of trials. And today's passage gives us an example of how God works in the trials of our lives, okay? He's a God of redemption. He doesn't let anything be wasted or chucked away or useless, but he likes to come into our trials and bring good out of it. And that is the joy of it. It's not just that he goes, oh, well, life's tricky, get on with it. But rather, he comes in and says, I will bring something good out of what you are experiencing now. So we need to hold on to that. Before we go to Exodus, I'm going to trick you all, hold your finger in there. I want you to go to James, the brother of Jesus. He would have heard Jesus say, in this life, you'll have many trials. And he was like, yeah, I've lived with you. No, he, <laughs> he wants to tell. Now, for James, he's pastoring a church in Jerusalem that's experiencing immense trials. Many of them have had their, their uh, property confiscated. Many of them have lost their jobs. They've chosen to leave Judaism and become Christians. And the persecution they're experiencing is massive. And if you read James, you'll see what he says to them. But look with me at chapter 1 of James, and you'll find it on 1,212, or Howard might bring it up for us, chapter 1, verse 13. I don't know how it's going up there. And chapter 1, verse 13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And why have I read that? Because I want us to, at the beginning, to make a distinction between a trial, a test, and a temptation. The trial is what you're going through. The test is how you will respond to that trial. And the temptation is to go, not God's way, but the way of evil. To not choose God's way. So here we go in, into our trial. It's a test. Will we choose to do what God would like us to do or will we 
choose to do what we would like or even what the devil would like. Remember, Jesus was led into the desert, time of test, time of trial, and he was tested, and the devil was there tempting him the whole time. You know, if you're hungry, just make some bread. What's your problem? And there we see a perfect example of testing that someone did not fail. Okay, secondly, why does God test if, test if he knows it will be an opportunity for you to be tempted? Why did he put a massive tree in the middle of the garden and say, don't touch it? This is what's happening. Every time, every time we're in a trial, we have a test. Will we choose God's way or our way? And right from the beginning, Adam and Eve have this same test, don't they? God's way or their way or the devil's way. Right from the beginning. God created us for himself, didn't he? We are most alive and perfectly us when we're in relationship with him. We become all we were meant to be. But it is always a choice. What does James say as well? Look at me at James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And what does he say? Why testing? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. James is saying... These trials are a test of your faith, whether you'll trust and persevere or whether you'll give up. And ever since that first uh, sinful action of Adam and Eve, every trial has been another opportunity for us to come back to God, to choose his way. This perseverance can be considered, it translates as nerving oneself. It's a bit like nerve up or man up or woman up. Come on, stand your ground. And what, um, what demands such a high price, we might ask? Why would we have to suffer so much? What does it say at the end? That we might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants people that are grown up that are fully mature, that are becoming like him, that are becoming the people that he intended us to be, to look like him and reflect his glory. Remember, in every trial we face, it is Satan's desire to tear us down, to make us choose not God's way, to tempt us to say, it would be easier for you if you did this now. But it is God's desire to build us up. Whenever we choose his way, it is a building up. It is an improvement on us. It is making us more like him and more who we were meant to be. So, after a very long introduction, let us go to Exodus. <laughs> so it's Exodus 15, verse 22, as I said before. It's page 73. And I'm not going to read it all because it's very, very long. Most of you, of course, will know the story, but I'll summarize it as we go. So 
Where have we got to in the story of Exodus? Right, so the Israelites have been rescued. They have been rescued in um, awe-inspiring manner. Plagues have come, rivers of blood, frogs, gnats, and finally, the death of the firstborn. They are liberated out. They've gone. They've gone out into the desert. They've gone back. They've gone through the Red Sea. God's parted the Red Sea before them. They've gone through, and their slave masters are drowned behind them. They are free. Their slave masters are dead, finished, done. They have no power over them anymore. They are now free to walk with their God. They're now free to choose to worship him. They're now free to choose to follow what he says. They're now free to live a free and liberated life. Never again will that slave master have any authority over them. Is this ringing any bells? (laughs) Never again will our slave master have any authority over us. We are free to choose. And what does it say? Verse 22. Then Moses led led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is the place called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses and said, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Now at this point, we're all thinking, Three days? You've just seen that. Three days. What is your problem? Well, I'll tell you what their problem is. Imagine for yourself, you have just been to church. It was awesome. You saw people healed at the front. The speaker was better than average. And the worship band were, wow. And it was as the glory of the Lord came. And you went out and you're like, oh, Jesus, you're so real and good and faithful. And Wednesday morning comes. And you get your essay back. And you have failed. You go into your workplace and you find out you've been made redundant. You drive your car over to your, I don't know, elderly mums or something, and some crazy guy hits your car, you spiral off the road and hit a tree, and you're in hospital. You wake up in the morning and your child... Um, has drawn all over their bedroom walls. <laughs> At this point, how close to praising the Lord are you? Hands up. No. You see, we can look at them, can't we? We think, why didn't you know? Well, we are the same every week, aren't we? Oh, I cannot believe it. What kind of... That's the swearing. Person hits my car. Here I am. Why, Lord? Why? Oh, 
oh, does that sound familiar? Because it does to me, because here they are grumbling against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Interesting, isn't it? Okay, so moving on. There the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction for them to put them to the test. Okay? He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his degrees, decrees, I will not bring on you the disease I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That heals you when they say, he says, if you follow what I say, if you choose my way in that situation when someone's just hit your car, I will heal you. Now, someone's just hit your car, what are you going to do? Jump out and swear at them. Well, you can't actually because you're in hospital. But you could be saying, oh, I hate that person. Why did they do it? But what does Jesus say? I want you to bless your enemies. I want you to forgive. I want you to show mercy and compassion. Can you see you've got a choice at this point, haven't you? And that's what he's saying here. This is your test in this moment. How will you respond? It's not the trial. The the trial is just the trial. It's normal life. But the test is how will you respond? It says heal you. It means to complete, to make you whole. It restores your soul. It says in Psalm 23. Remember James? To make you mature and complete. Does that sound like hold? Because it does to me. I'm very whole. It's to make you whole. Let's move on. So they went to Elam. Uh, they have some rest. Often, you know, God gives us the rest, doesn't he? Oh, just going to have a little breather, but then we're back in it again. And we'll move on to chapter 16, looking at the time. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they've come out of Egypt, what's that, like six weeks now? It's not very long. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They're back in a trial. Oh, my life. What is it this time? The Israelites said, if only we had died of the Lord's hands in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us to this, into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And this is the point where we can react wrong, isn't it? We can either, A, we can grumble. So it's someone else's fault. It's either the system's fault. It's the NHS's fault. It's the government's fault. They didn't make laws correctly. It's your boss's fault. It's the accountant's fault. It's somebody, it's the school's fault. It's my lecturer's fault. They're rubbish. If only I had a decent lecturer to lecture me, I would be fine today. This is our temptation at this moment to start grumble. And we can also start with the if. If only I had gone to Cambridge, this wouldn't have happened to me. If only I hadn't have, dare I say it, married that person. It's awful, isn't it? If only I hadn't taken that job and I'd taken that job. If only I hadn't been made redundant. If only I hadn't bought that car that I've just driven down the road and it's broken down already. If only people were legislated better, this wouldn't 
have happened to me. And we can start fantasizing about what it was like before. Oh, I had so much freedom there. My last job, I never had any problems. Everyone was so nice to me. They never, ever talked behind my back. I don't think that's true. With our last pastor, <laughs> we all do a bit of that, don't we? This never happened. But we can go into that. So let's not go there. So then what's happened? What's the test? Okay, well, I'm going to skip on a bit. Um, God says, basically, if you, follow my, um, if you follow my rules. So what's the rules he sets out? He says, look, I'm going to provide for you. You're going to have quail in the evening, going to have bread in the morning. This is, this is your test. I want you to go out, and I want you to collect enough for that day, take it home, and don't keep any. Don't save any. And then on the Sabbath, on this day that you're to put to me that's to be different, I want you to collect twice as much the day before and keep it. But on that day, don't go out and collect any. Okay, so this seems pretty um, out there at the moment. But what's happening here? If you imagine um, a slave's mentality, okay? So it can be institutionalized as well, can't it? If you have no control over anything, and this can happen... Um, I suppose it happened to children as well, can't it, now I'm thinking about it. But you have no control over anything. You don't know if any food is coming the next day. There's a real temptation at this point to hoard, isn't there? So I think that's what's going on here. Because they don't know. They don't know the Lord yet. They're just getting to know him. Can he be trusted? Does he really, is he really tomorrow going to give me some food? Maybe he won't. Maybe he lies You know, he just killed all those Egyptians, so maybe, just maybe, he's going to kill us. There's a real uncertainty, and it's that some of them doubted, and they tried to keep some, didn't they? But But it all went away. And then on the other side, on the Sabbath, he says, rest. Well, think about them. They've never been able to rest. A slave doesn't get to rest. They are valued by the amount of work they do, what they achieve, um... Does that sound familiar in our culture? Because it did to me. That sense of being valued by what you achieve or what you own or how much you own. So on the Sabbath, they're tempted to go and continue to gather. God is cross with them. But it's an interesting cross, isn't it? Because the Sabbath is a gift to them. It's like he's got a present. He says, look, guys, you're no longer slaves. I'm going to provide food for you every day. I'm never going to starve you guys. And I want you to have a rest. It's a gift. God's rules for us are a gift to us. They are out of his generous heart. He's saying, if you do what I say, I will bless you. If you choose to to respond to that situation, I will bless you. If you choose to forgive that person, even though they have done horrendous things, I will bless you. It is my gift to you that you will become more whole and complete and restored. So where can we go from that? Well, I could say a lot more, (laughs) but I won't because of time. But let me finish by asking you a question that you may be thinking. Because I know for some of you, life is very hard. You know, 
I get to hear what's going on in people's lives. And you might be thinking, you don't know my trial. You don't know what it's like to be on the floor crying and failed again to choose what God would want me to choose. You might be saying, you don't know what it's like, Lou, to think God is never going to rescue me from this, to doubt him at that moment. And I don't know your trial, but I do understand. I do know what it's like to be on the floor crying, and I do know what it's like to think God's not coming. We all experience this. We all go through things. And your trial might be very, very different to mine and so harsh beyond mine. I accept that. But I want you to remember two things. Firstly, everyone who has ever lived, bar one, has failed. You are not alone in your failure. We are all stumbling along daily trying to choose Jesus, trying to choose his way and getting it wrong. We are all there together. But there is one person who has never, ever got it wrong. And that, of course, is Jesus, who perfectly lived his life. He chose God again and again and again and again, even to the cross. He chose God because he knew that that way was God's way and would ultimately lead to good. And that good is you and me. We are his inheritance, his bride. It is who he did it for when he hung on the cross saying, I'll take your failure. I will take it on me. And I will give you my success. Where you have failed, I have not. And I am enough for you. That is why every morning when we have failed, we can get up and know that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. There is nothing that we can do that can be a big enough failure that we are out of it. We're out of the game Because his cross is enough for us. He is there every morning championing you, saying, come on, you can do it today. You are able. My strength is sufficient for you today. And when we're in that test, we can be tempted, A, to run back to things that we used to do. Things that worked for us or have worked for us, kind of. But they are just slave masters every time. Secondly, we can go into that blame game, the whining mode. We've all done it. And I'm not saying we don't share with each other. Obviously we do. We say, my life's tough right now. Please can you pray for me? But we don't have to list every single reason and every single person that has made our life tough that day. We don't need to do it. We know that in the blame game, we can go to God and say, I'm blaming you. But we need to remember at that point, God is happy to hear your rants 
but he doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to stay there. This might not be good, but he intends it for good. He will bring good out of it. Remember in um, Psalm 56, verse 8, it talks about how God collects our tears. And I think that's a great reminder to us in that trial that nothing happens that he doesn't notice. Even your tears, he's collecting and remembering. Jesus, when he saw Lazarus had died, it describes him as weeping, but also getting really angry that that was the way this, that it happened for him. He weeps for us. He's angry about the state of this. He doesn't delight in evil. He delights in good. Thirdly, sometimes we're tempted to take control, aren't we? Right, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to go. I'm going to gather extra today. I'm going to keep it all for me. I'm not going to stop because if I stop, if I have a day off, maybe I'll fail my exams. If I stop, maybe I won't get the washing done. Oh, my life. It is a gift to us. If you're not taking a Sabbath, take one. I can't say it strongly enough. It is a gift. Or we can choose to see this trial as an opportunity to grow and mature in him. It's tough. It's never going to be easy. But his provision and strength is there. And in it, when we choose him, we see his glory. That is, we see the physical manifestation in our lives and those around us get to see it too of what a difference Jesus makes when we choose his way, when we're tempted to choose something else. Imagine if instead of sitting and grumbling about it, our difficulties, sitting paralyzed before them, we declare together, God is good. I don't know what's going on, but he is good and he'll bring good out of this. He's mighty to save. He is my God. And Jesus shows me that he has done it. Jesus shows me that he loves me. Jesus shows me that he delighted to have me against Everything I've ever done, anything I've done wrong, he was there and he said, I will take all your sins and I will give you freedom instead. Imagine if instead of losing ourselves in those moments where we can't sleep and we just think, oh, forget it, I'll just go and drink a bottle of wine or something. Instead of that, we chose to say, God, you are good. I can't sleep, but that's okay. I will use this for your glory. That is hard. When you get up in the morning and you haven't slept and you think, right, I've got a choice. I can either make my family's life hell this morning or I can choose, despite my exhaustion, to bless them. That is a hard choice at that moment. I can take my lack of sleep into my workplace and make everyone's life miserable. I can take my lack of sleep into college and I can whine about it all day long and why I didn't sleep and what was going on for me. I can say, God is good. I don't know what's going on. I can text my friends, pray for me. I'm not sleeping. This is sending me crazy. I can do that, but I cannot go into those places. I can instead choose Jesus' way. When someone wrongs me, I can choose to whine about that person, go and tell everyone I know how terrible they are, 
and I'm putting my hands up. It happens. I've done it. Or I can bless that person and say, I f- in my head, I forgive you. Your grace is sufficient for me, Jesus. I will act lovingly towards them. Those are our everyday trials. And even when we fail for the 4,000th millionth time, Jesus says, I'm still here with you. I weep with you. I know you. I want good for you. Come on, step up. Let's have another go. And he will bring us into his glory. So let's pray. Jesus, you're here and you know our hearts. You know the depths of them that no one sees. You know the embarrassment of how we behaved last week. You know where we've chosen other things rather than you. You know where we've made bad decisions. You know us. Help us to know at this moment that you love us. You are for us, not against us. You have taken every sin from us. You say, come, follow me. Thank you, Jesus the privilege we have as Christians to know that nothing will ever separate us from you. That you're a good God. You're a God who sees, who cares, who loves, who comes into our situation, who weeps with us, gets angry with us, and then says, come, follow me. Say, so we as a community follow you, Jesus, this week. When we get to Wednesday morning, or Tuesday, or Monday, or this afternoon, may we choose your way. In Jesus' name, amen.